listening to The Itch, a podcast exploring all things allergy, asthma, and immunology. I'm your co-host, Courtney, a real-life allergy, asthma, and eczema girl. And I'm your second host, Dr. Payal Gupta, a board-certified allergy, asthma, and immunology doctor. Courtney and I hope to balance each other out so that we get you all the information that you want and need about allergies, asthma, and immunology. Welcome back to The Itch. Today we talk to Thomas and Dina Silvera. They're the two parents behind the Elijah Alevi Foundation. As a response to their son, Elijah, dying from an anaphylactic reaction at daycare, they set up this foundation in his honor to protect all pre-K children. We hope you find this episode inspiring and also eye-opening to how much more awareness we need to raise in all socioeconomic groups and how simply going into a community to educate isn't always the right approach. We also highlight ways in which you can help your communities because everyone in a community can make a difference. So let's jump on in. Hi, everyone. So today we're talking to Dina and Thomas of Elijah's Echo. And I know many of our listeners know about your story. For those who don't know, could you tell us a little bit more about your journey and Elijah and how you started the Elijah Alvey Foundation? All right. Well, so I'm Thomas Rivera. I am, I say, the most uh, proud parent to have, you know, Elijah Alvey Afik, Thomas Silvera. You know, it. everything that happened back in November 2017, our son Elijah was given a food allergen at at a place that he was attending for school, and soon after uh, he had passed away. So, with that being said, we, my wife and I, decided whether what are we going to do about a situation like this? We could either just cover ourselves in our bed, dig ourselves into a hole, or just not acknowledge the world. There were a lot of factors that we had to kind of like think about what we wanted to do. And it was hard for my wife at, at the moment. So I had to kind of like pull up my, my, my big boy pants and do something about it. So about a month or so after everything had happened, we decided to, my wife and I decided to look into legislations. And we found out that there was a miss in the anaphylactic policy that she had stumbled upon. The anaphylactic policy only focuses from grades K to 12, which was unfortunate because that should have been in place for daycares and pre-K. You know, even through the grief stages and everything, we were still fighting through all that, fighting through the pain, fighting through the, the fights, fighting through all the grief that we were kind of like stricken with. And it was like, how can we create a difference? So we actually started the Elijah LFE Foundation before actually solidifying as a nonprofit just so we can get this work on the ground. And we created a movement in his name, which is the hashtag Elijah's Echo, because my son at such a young age did not have the voice actually to voice his, what was going on. So we decided to be his voice after everything. So I mean, be the voice of every other child and parent that are that don't know how to be strong for them, you know? So it, it's, we want to be able to provide that space for everyone. Hi, my name is Dina. And uh, my husband, Thomas, started, initiated the foundation and asked for my support. As an educator, I just felt that it was my duty, not just as an educator, but also as a mother, to 
step into this space and support other mothers, other fathers, other guardians that may need this support. Because after our tragic incident, it opened up a world that I didn't know existed, to be honest. I, like another parent, I really trusted the organizations. Um, I trusted the policies and regulations that were out there that protects our children. Um, and to my surprise, we completely dropped the ball in our country with that. So it was a part of my grieving process, the foundation, believe it or not. It, it helped me. It kind of took me out of this dark space that I was in, and it allowed me to step into a a better space, which was providing service and information and resources to other families that needed this, like quickly. School year was approaching and I thought about, I don't want this to happen to any other family. It was really important for us when we started the foundation to ensure, at least make sure that this foundation does something that is actionable, meaningful, supportive, resourceful, so that no other parent or guardian has to experience what we did. You know, it's like, you know, I don't have him physically with us, but a lot of the work that we're doing is it's the work that is driven by his strength. And I think that's how we keep moving. You know, there are times that, you know, sometimes I just want to, just like give up, but I know I can't. You know, I've, I've set out a mission for my son and also for my other son, Sebastian. So there's no way of letting Elijah down or Sebastian down or my family down. So we have to focus and just grind and make sure this works. I, I focus a different shift in the direction of what I wanted to do in my career path because mm-hmm. I wanted to go to school to be a PA, but I changed <laughs> that. I'm going into public health now. So I'm looking to do my master's in public health next year because there's a lot of, we talk about the disparities in certain sectors that I want to focus on and not just like, you know, food allergies and asthma, there's, you know, it's it's on a broader spectrum than that. We really wanted to make sure that when people are looking for questions, we can provide some type of solution or answer or point them in some type of, you know, direct pathway to get some type of answers. And I also wanted to make sure that this was a space where other people are represented and that it doesn't become this taboo conversation where, you know, other families like ours, when we say, you know, this is something that's in our family, we have food allergies, that it's taken seriously too. And I think representation matters, especially in this space greatly, um, because when you feel represented, you you can trust the people that are talking to you. Absolutely. And I, all, everything that you guys said is just so important and something that everybody needs to hear that sometimes it does take tragedy to open people's eyes and thank you for being strong enough to do that during such a hard time in your lives. Such an important mission. And I, I didn't realize that you were changing uh, career paths, Thomas. Yeah. It's, it, it didn't dawn on me into, I think, probably well, that usually happens yeah it didn't dawn into like maybe like early within the year that i need to go into public health so right now i'm in the end stage of completing my bachelor's in health science and health education and then i'm going to go into um obtaining my master's in public health and epidemiology so 
that is my direction. Yeah, he, he jumped into that after, you know, just, I wouldn't say hitting roadblocks, but trying to start the conversation and realizing, you know, if I educate myself in this space, then, you know, not only would you take, you know, people take you seriously, but you can also see what's actually going on, um, what's out there, what information is out there, what, you know, certain information is only privy to certain people when you're actually in that space. So, um, I said to him, go for it, you know? Well, it sounds like you guys have an amazing support system within each other. We, we, we attribute a lot of our support to family and good friends, you guys, the community has been so like helpful and we're like grateful for everyone who's been a part of that. I am. Like no one has stood behind us or in front of us. Everyone has stood beside us. Yeah. And I mean, that makes all the difference. And this is like a really challenging space to be in too, especially when you're different in it. And I just, I'm, I'm grateful for everybody's support. Career path change happened because of this. But I want to put myself in a space where I can align myself, where I can focus on, like, we can focus on the policies, we can focus yeah. on the epidemiology, you can focus on whatever it is that I can work strongly in, especially in the public health sector, and focus on health promotion and disparities and all those social, socioeconomical issues. That's where I want to go because yeah. I would... I wasn't raised in the most affluent areas, you know, so I've, I've seen it. I'm an asthmatic, raised in a poor environment. I've seen communities from people developing diabetes, high cholesterol, heart disease, you name it. In these urban and poor communities, this is where the numbers are very high, but the numbers are not giving. They're not reflecting reflect, the data. Yeah, they're not all. reflecting the data because no. you have someone who can afford it or whether We'll go to a doctor and be like, yeah, I'm fine. And it'll be easily dismissed. Even like the medical professionals in certain communities will, the response time on the, mm. the physicians speaking with their patient, it's they, they're terrible. quick to turn around the patient to get them out of the room. They're yeah. just like, okay, right. And then they let them go without actually focusing on the patient. And that's, that's a big, big, this big importance that needs to be focused on. And it's on. important for us to make sure that our foundation has accurate information, updated information, um, and resources for the community. Like we're grateful that we can even align ourselves with all the different organizations out there, but we really want to stand in this space, particularly for infants and young children and be their voices. You know, we have a lot of policies and regulations out there that covers older people and, and we, we can fight, you know, we can go to war with these people if we wanted to, but children cannot, they, they cannot speak for themselves. A child pointing at their throat is not an indication of something wrong, you know, like we don't know. We have to decode a children a child's language. And I think the more information, the more resources that we um, give to our communities, it will give them that armor that they need and that support that they need so that they don't feel scared or shocked when things are happening, but they know what's happening. Like I always we had this conversation with our partners and they said, we have fire drills in schools. When was the last time we heard a fire breaking out into a school, though? There has to be some type of systems in place that protects the, the most vulnerable. We have to. And as an educator myself, like I said, I, we are mandatory report, mandated reporters. You know, we take all these certifications. We also need to provide that same type of safe, safety for infants and children. They also deserve a chance to grow up and be children and explore and have fun. And it shouldn't be a war on food. 
for them particularly let us as adults and us in this space figure out how to make their their spaces safe and how do we offer that proper resource and information to the community that needs it at large it sounds like there's multiple areas that you that you are trying to work in mm-hmm. and Elijah's law bill. Can you specifically talk about what the bill is for? And then I want, we want to kind of delve into everything else. With Elijah's law, which it tells basically is is to tell um, early educating programs in New York state that they must follow state food allergy guidelines and protocols, which will will help to prevent like um, response for people to respond quickly to life-threatening food allergies and anaphylaxis. The initiative behind the legislation is something it's a system that has failed us so <laughs> it, i think it's something that we really have to focus on it it focuses on training making sure that the proper readiness programs are put together the training it's you know it has to be a new york city regulated uh training but there's actually really not something most mostly they're all done on webinars something i guess we didn't mention to you at all is that we partner with belay um, the Elijah Alavi Foundation partnered with Belay. We actually designed an education curriculum, which we we will physically go into schools and train them. Not only train them, but also certify the educators and also the school. This is something that has to be done because it's like providing education through a webinar as, you know, some can grab onto it, but the information is not retainable that way. So when you physically are there working with, you know, the students, as we, you, we will call them, that they will be able to get the hands-on experience and the knowledge that they're able to retain a lot better. So that's one of the things that we're trying to, like, work on, especially that aligns with the Elijah Law, you know, in terms of, like, getting that done. So there's, there's a lot to it. Well, the, the law is specifically just focuses. The main thing about the law is ensuring safety for children in daycare, early education um, facilities, because before that, the reality is there really wasn't any protection for the children, to be honest. And that protection is specifically for anaphylaxis? So, yeah, so... The- yeah, like food allergy, just, but in general, you know, there really wasn't a language specific to tailoring to the safety. So this law is not just for like food allergies, anaphylactic, life-threatening food allergies in that sense, but it's also a, a law or bill that protects um, our children in the care of these people. On top of that, there is that language now that's inserted into this bill that states those children with life-threatening food allergies, and like there has to be now policies and regulations set in those places now that ensures the safety of those children. And so now that's why the health codes have changed. And now, you know, for this new school year coming in, a lot of the educators had to be mat trained. And what we're providing is that hands-on training. So in the case, God forbid, you know, a child does have a reaction and they may occur this year that the, the educators in the space are well-equipped, well-informed and have the proper resources and information and protocols to know what, how to act and how to act fast to ensure the safety of those children. Yeah, so basically the protocols will include training courses, guidelines for development, individualized emergency healthcare plans, communication, treatment plans, and risk reduction strategies for child care programs, which is going to be required to have like a protocol in place for communicating about food allergy that are safe and unsafe 
along with strategies to avoid allergens in certain spaces. And it provides equity for all children. So it doesn't matter your socioeconomic background, it's, it's equitable. You want to make sure that it covers, and that was another extremely more important part of the bill, that if this is a, if it's a daycare family, it doesn't matter. It's something that covers and protects all children. Right, which is so important. And I guess there's so many parts of this. Sorry, I like have 30 million questions right now. But the first one is when, you know, you talked about the webinars. And I think that people use or institutions use webinars because it's an easy way to get the message out to people. But I've done webinars and I know what webinars are like. And it's, you know, you just fast forward, do the quiz at the end, fast forward, do the quiz at the end. I mean, just let's just be real. That's what people do when they do webinars. And so it's not always as educational as you would hope, right? Correct. I think the problem when it comes to webinars, everybody's looking for a cost-effective way to do a training without actually physically hiring people to go in to do the training. Just imagine if we did, <clears throat> which they do do, the do, doing your first day AED and CPR do a webinar. And then when you're actually faced with the emergency situation, you're like, oh my God, do I have to look back at what I, I saw? Maybe that was in there. Like, you don't want that. You want to be able to retain the information. And I know, um, Payal, you, you went to school. You, you Everything has to be physically hands-on. You have to know your work. You have to know what you're doing in order to be able to provide that information to people so they can retain it. Yeah, it's good. The information is easy. You can get it out to a broader amount of people through a webinar. But the physical attention and the hands-on training is is very vital and i think we miss we're missing that because we want to save on costs because it's it's more effective that way well yeah and i i I guess my question is daycares are interesting spaces and i don't i mean I'm, i'm not an expert in daycares but what i do know is that i've met people that i'm like oh you run a daycare in your home there's just so many different ways that you can have a daycare right you can literally do it in your home that means there's hundreds of daycares out there. And so how are we going to figure out which ones get this program first? There, there are certain areas that I would want to first focus on what we were talking about, the disparities. Are we focusing first in areas that do have higher disparities in care and then moving on to the areas that are probably less so our goal for the foundation is to actually provide that information to, especially like those in-home family daycare centers, to provide that type of resource for them for free. Because those spaces are really not that big that they're working in. I know a couple in the neighborhood that I used to live in. It's like two people working with a certain amount of kids in there that they provide these home daycares. So especially in these areas, and we have parents that have children with food allergies, they leave them you know, susceptible to these people who run these daycare with the risk without not getting called based on a tragedy that could have, that can happen. So we want to provide that type of information to this space and give that information to them for free and these in-home family daycares, like working with daycare centers and also public schools. Those are, that's where focusing that different, but we want to focus on the disparities and the myths in these um, underprivileged areas first. Yeah, and what, what our partnership allows us to push into the educational spaces, like where where people are using their childcare vouchers, for the most part, where they're using government-funded programs. Because, or as of right now, like majority of people, like they leave their children in the care of those type of places, like early childhood, early childcare programs, and 
So it's important that we educate those spaces as well. So for uh, for myself and our foundation and our partners, that's something that we are paying close attention to, particularly for infants, just making sure that the educators in that space are confident enough to do something when needed, if needed. Uh, and then for the daycare centers, as my husband talked about, we're also paying attention to and looking to push in one by one, even just having like a workshop in a community, because sometimes it can feel a little intrusive, especially home daycares. There's language barriers, cultural barriers that they, you know, people do things really differently. Just coming into the community in the space and saying, we're not here to take hurt or harm, but we're here to provide, give and help. Also aligning ourselves with someone in the community that reflects the community and the culture so that they feel confident and they can trust us being in that space because I, you know, we're not saviors. You, we're literally here just to plant the seeds that we know that can grow into something beautiful later. And it's really important that we do that with gentle gloves, especially in communities that are nervous, that this is the first time they feel that this is necessary. This is another added thing to what they have going on. Well, when you're taking care of someone's child, yes. Yeah. So I don't really sympathize in that way, but I do understand when you're have when you're already like having to deal with so many things that you have to comply with and then having someone throw something like this at you with no information no resource but you're going to be held um, accountable for it i think it's important that we do allow some type of ability to provide that support so that they don't feel overwhelmed especially when dealing with little children you know we as parents, as you know, we bring our children to these educators because we want these people to actually take on what we do. So if we're a food allergy parent or a parent that has a child with disability or just a parent, we want them to provide that same care we will. So when we drop our kids off at a daycare center or at a regular public school, we're hoping that they take care of the child as we would. In some life that doesn't happen, as we know um, in situations. So we need to continue with the education and the advocacies in these space so they be able to provide the same care as we do. As a vigilant person, food allergy space, we want them to go and give that same care back. So if you know about food allergies, if you notice that you gave a child something that can contain an allergen, you know immediately what to do. That means that you would have been acting in the likes as the parent, not as just someone who's just there to watch your child. You know, that's not what we want. We want them to take on the same role as we would as a parent. And that's why we want to give back to the community as well, providing this space as well, working on like bringing some community advocacy to these areas, focus on the daycare centers and public schools. So, you know, it's a lot of work, you know, in due time, we're willing to scale that. You guys are awesome. This is amazing. So needed. And not like you said, not only in the food allergy space, but I know because I'm really involved with the asthma space also, there's just a lot of disparity in asthma care. Even, you know, in New York City, most definitely the Bronx, as I mentioned before, is one of had the worst asthma rates I, in all of in the entire country. And uh, it's yeah. something that I'm very passionate about and trying hard to do something with the American Lung Association. But it, it's just there's so many barriers. But I know that there's a way to do it. What you're talking about with the asthma, it all comes down to a biostatistic in the epidemiology of that. So it was like. Even though asthma, I remember growing up with asthma that people would look at asthma as if it was a contagious disease. And I was like maybe in first grade. 
yeah, the numbers have astronomically grown into an epidemic. Funding is provided to them, but also there's the lack of information that's provided to the community community that needs it. And I was raised in the Bronx, and I was actually in a location where the highest rate of asthma was was there. That was that was the section I lived in. So it's like to actually still see that this is something that's amiss, you know, it's unfortunate. But I think it comes always it, it all comes back to which is why I think we're in a great time right now when it comes to like information and resource. It it really comes down to representation. Example like when I was teaching and we would have people that would come to talk to our students. The students will check out because they don't trust the person talking to them. But if you bring in somebody that represents them, that reflects their culture, they will sit longer and eventually they'll start to listen. And I noticed the same even with the educators in that space. We, you automatically check off in your mind, what does this person know? They're just coming in here. They don't know our culture. They don't even... And I'm a Hispanic, I'm an Afro-Latina, but it doesn't even matter because if I go into a space that's more Mexican, they're not, they're really apprehensive towards me too. So if I don't come in with an understanding of their culture, if I don't represent them in some way, if I don't bring someone that represents them, immediately they don't want to, they don't want to hear what I have to say. And that's just the truth. It's like language. You can go into a room full of people and if they're speaking Spanish or Thai, and you're speaking English, they're immediately uncomfortable. Bring someone in and start speaking their language and immediately everyone's listening, they're engaging because they feel comfortable. So it focuses on the cultural aspects of things as well. So So I I love now, we're in a time now where these conversations can happen. We have access to spaces and that is gonna take pioneers who are not afraid to step into these communities and reach across like, our foundation, we want to align with different cultures and diverse backgrounds so that when we go into these spaces, they can trust that we actually put some thought into this. We didn't just show up, but we actually thought about how we're going to reach this community. We did our research. We found pioneers in their own communities that they can trust, that they will give an ear to so that they can see, okay, these people took the time to align with these said individuals and they really do care about our community to make sure and ensure that we are getting those resources that is available out there that we were not privy to. Because that's really what's happening. You know, there is a lot of information out there, but everyone assumes that we all have access to it or that we know how to have access to it. But I have a very, my, my family's like the United Nations. My grandmother's been here, I don't know how many years. She has no full understanding of food allergies, like at all. Like zero. This is my Hispanic side. My Jamaican side, forget about it. It's not even a thought. It's not a process. You know, people have died in our family and come to find out I had to do this research. We have a lot of food allergies in my family. But it's not a conversation. It's a it's it's a cultural thing. So you can be here for 50 years, but if this is not a conversation that's happening with people that represent you, that's where things get lost. How do you get that message to the communities that need it, to the people that aren't seeking it out. And that's that's something that I honestly, I, I think about a lot. I think a lot of it, I think a lot of it needs to be more grassroots too. I feel like what you're saying, Dina, is like you need, you can't just go into a 
a community and just expect them to listen because you know it's a really important thing to listen up to. You have to trust the person telling you this information and you're not going to absorb it unless you trust that. And it's really about finding those those community leaders and having them understand why you want to come in and help and why you want to educate on that specific topic. And it's, it's a lot more work than people believe it is because not everyone's going to go online. Not everyone has access to these resources that we think are great and that everyone can go and, you know, read everything that they need to know and be educated that way. But it's like, you need to go in there and you need to establish trust because I mean, cultural is, I mean, I have like a Chinese family and I have a Canadian, you know, this like white Canadian family, but it's like they, there's two different worlds of conversation happening. I totally see that. And I, and I think a lot of people want, they say they that they want to bring this to, you know, these um, urban, you know, these poor areas, but I don't see it. So like we've aligned ourselves with a couple of community leaders that this is something we're going to be starting moving forward on is actually bringing this awareness to these communities. The focus needs to start there. But it's also about community. And I want people to understand, you know, if you are one organization that has all the information, but nobody else on this side has it, then what good are you? That's how I feel. Every single school has a fire safety code drill. It doesn't matter what school you go to, you're going to experience that. And so that's how I feel about the food allergy community. I think it should be where it's not just, oh, for the poor communities, they need it the most, but it should just be for every community that need it the most. Because it's not a conversation that's happening on a broad spectrum. Like, let's be honest, like, it's just not. Because like I said, you know, naturally, you know, when you live in certain communities, we're not keen on asking certain questions because you don't want to look stupid. And that's just the truth. You know, you get to a point in your age, you're supposed to have all this knowledge. And if you don't know, you just keep it to yourself. There's a lot, like the adult literacy is so high, but people, if you told people that, they wouldn't even believe you. So, you know, I think about all of those things. This is not just about the Elijah Levy Foundation. This is truly a place where if you're coming to us for information, you can get resources. I can say, go to this person. They have a wonderful podcast. They're robust in information. You get more than what you need. Go over here. Like, I, I want us to be in that space where different people can say, you know what? They're really doing great work in this area, but also helping them to understand there are people also in your community that you can align with, that can continue to support your voice. But if we're not doing that, we're going to constantly show up in spaces where we're the only ones there because we don't trust to share the information. We don't like I was telling my husband when we were doing this in the beginning, you know, I'm not a medically savvy person and we have to be careful to not go into spaces with all this medical jargon. It's too much. It ha if you, and I worked in the special needs um, area and that's my specialty, being able to communicate to everybody. That's the point. If, if only this group or this sector is getting it, then I have failed as an educator. That's how I always felt. Everybody should be able to conceptualize, understand and comprehend the information that I'm sharing. It has nothing to do with that I'm dumbing down the information. It's not taking away from your educational background. But when you're dealing with loads of people, we have to think that way. And so we have to, if you know, I always say it's not everyone that has knowledge can be an educator and teach. Because you have to be able to take that information and make it that it's digestible to everyone that you're talking to. So if you're only speaking to a certain space, 
then how much of your information is coming across? If you cannot explain this in a way that makes sense to a seven-year-old, then you need to get somebody that can break down that information. And that's why I said our work, it's long, like you were saying, it's grassroots and it's community. It's truly community. And it's going to take a lot of time. And I told Thomas, what we're doing and everybody that's involved, we're going to look back many years from now and be really proud of the hard work because after we do it, so many others is going to come behind and just take and share and take and share. And that is the goal, really, so that this will no longer be this, those kinds of people's problems. And let's be clear, when you go into like the Hispanics, the African-American, the African communities, the Caribbean communities, I'm not going to lie. They all feel like this is a white problem. They do. Those are white people's problems. That's not true. This is not a sport. <laughs> this is not an ethnic situation. This is everyone. This is a health occurrence. That is, this, no one says, you know, if you get your foot chopped off, that only happens to black people. Like, <laughs> it's not true. So it's also changing the mentality of how we're thinking about what affects a people. You know, like, I don't ever say this is only a, this type of race problem. And when you start thinking that, my asthma is your asthma. My allergy is your allergy. We start to educate a little differently in that space. You don't see, well, because this is only a woman's issue, then I can't speak to it. That's not true. You know, we should feel that we can communicate across the yard with one another. And for me, I'm passionate about that because it's important that our children see us in that space and that we're, we're leaving something better for them. How do you think people can help? Wow. So... That, like, again, it focuses on you actually taking that first step and that initiative to create the change, like get involved with their community leaders. Like we discussed, you can get someone like it doesn't matter where you are or where you're from. Focuses on those communities that need this. Go to your to the local clinics or the hospitals and talk about bringing this community awareness work. Talk about health promotion. Talk about working in these sectors and bringing these to not just to do a community outreach on one day after every three months you do it, you know, focusing on bringing this, just continue bringing it. I know it's going to take money, but if you can have people create volunteers and do grassrooting, you can get this information to the spaces that are needed. Also, people can email us and reach out to us and we can get that information to them. Mainly it's like we focus on the equity to make sure that all children in every school in every neighborhood, regardless of socioeconomic conditions, culture, or class, are safe when their parents drop them off at school or at any daycare center or like or babysitter. You know, yeah. that's that's our main focus. So if they, you know, we're revamping the website. You know, it's the ElijahLBFoundation.org, which you can see some updated information on there. But we are easily accessible through via email if they were to send in information through the the site there. Yeah, they can get um, access to us right away or through our Instagram at Elijah Echo or Facebook at the Elijah Alavi Foundation. Thank you. And we'll have all of those links, obviously, so that you can access them. Thank you, guys, for having us. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Remember that all information you hear today is for informational purposes only and are not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider. And also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And if you have a second, help spread the word by rating our podcast and sharing with your friends and family who might also be interested in learning more about allergies, asthma, and immunology. 
You can always stay up to date by checking out our Instagram, The Itch Podcast, where you can leave questions you are itching to know or check out our website, which is www.itchpodcast.com, which contains more information about the subjects we covered in today's episode and every episode. Until next time, have a fabulous week.